0: Pricing is something that has really, really high impact on your business, and most of us aren't doing anywhere near enough that we should be, but there's also an enormous knowledge gap because none of us, unless we've been doing a pricing project or we work in pricing, really uh, have ever learned anything about pricing.
1: Hi, I'm Kyle Poyer from OpenViews Expansion Team, where I help software companies accelerate their revenue growth so they can become market leaders. This season on Build, we're dedicating every episode to a different SaaS benchmark, saying growth rates, unit economics, the rule of 40, and so on. We'll be taking off next Wednesday because we know you all will be on the beach for the 4th of July, but make sure you subscribe to hear our last episode of Season 2 the week after. Today's episode is about one of my favorite topics. SaaS pricing, and it's on why SaaS companies should care about pricing, how to optimize pricing, and what impact it has on the business. I'm joined by SaaS pricing expert Patrick Campbell, co founder and CEO of Profitwell, and Craig Harris, COO at Deputy. Patrick, thanks for joining today's Build Podcast.
0: Yeah, it's great to be here and uh, excited to chat some pricing.
1: Totally, our our favorite subject. So I was going
0: to say, you and I are always are always on the pricing end here. So I feel like I'm just going to be a um, kind of like a mirror of what you want to talk about it and what your, your pricing ideas are, which is great.
1: It's <laughs> great. I get someone else to say the advice I want to have just with a better voice.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, I have a really good microphone on this end. So that's what helps. (laughs) You know, Patrick, I'm sure a
1: number of our listeners already know who you are from all the awesome content you put out, events that you hold, but could you introduce yourself and your company?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we are Profitwell. I'm Patrick Campbell, CEO, founder. Um, we we're formerly called Price Intelligently, and we simply changed the name because our product suite expanded beyond just pricing. But what's most kind of applicable for this conversation is we've been in kind of the subscription and SaaS and technology pricing space for about six years now, helping everyone from, you know, Atlassian and Autodesk on kind of the B2B and big side all the way to, you know, lift and medium.com. And so it's been a nice little ride. And as you Know being a pricing person as well. It's one of those uh, tough challenges that you know is pretty rewarding when you figure it out, but also really, really frustrating when you're in the midst of things. Totally. And SaaS
1: pricing is you know the SaaS world's already kind of small, but then the SaaS pricing world
0: is especially small. It's like a handful of us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. How did you get started in it? How did you catch the pricing bug?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, and this sounds a little pretentious, but I think it was, I, I caught the value bug, if you will, before the pricing bug. So I, I worked at, you know, I worked in the intelligence community. I worked at Google doing basically economic modeling or value modeling, where you take a bunch of inputs and you're optimizing for some sort of output. And I jumped out at Google and I worked at a Boston-based company called Gemvara for about a year. And I was kind of a special projects person just because I had a kind of a, a wider generalist skill set. And what ended up happening is they threw pricing to me as, hey, go figure this out. And so I started building some models and kind of exploring the problem. And the long story short is basically discovered Pricing is something that has really, really high impact on your business, and most of us aren't doing anywhere near enough that we should be. But there's also an enormous knowledge gap because none of us, unless we've been doing a pricing project or we work in pricing, really have ever learned anything about pricing because it's not necessarily something that you know was needed to think about every so often. And so when I was kind of a little you know not as enamored with the culture and, and the organization, I, I was like, all right, I'm going to go start something myself and that kind of led to meeting a couple of you know advisors and some mentors who were like yeah jump in and work on pricing and i guess the the story is currently being written but that's the story you know 6 years ago up until now
1: well and it's one of those things that everyone has an opinion about and is exposed to with their business but no one has any formal training on and it. it's not taught in business school or anything like that you mentioned pricing having a big impact Throw you a softball question here what is the kind of impact that you see with pricing? Why is it so important for companies to get that right?
0: Let me read from any blog post you or I have ever written. Uh, so, <laughs> it's, uh, so the reason in, in the kind of philosophical and you know, more poetic way to look at it is your pricing is the exchange rate on the value that you're providing. So everything in your business, and it doesn't matter if you're a subscription business, if you're a retail business, whatever your business actually is, Everything that you produce, your brand, your actual product, your testimonials, how long you've been around, all of these different things go into basically providing your customer some sort of value. And the way that you ascribe value for just a basic transaction is you, you put a price on that value. And when you look at it mathematically, because pricing is so central to what you're doing, because that's the nature of your business is selling something to somebody, all of a sudden you start to realize just how important it is. And, and when you look at the numbers, it's one of those things where it's actually, you know, depending on the numbers you look at and the studies you look at, it typically has two to six X the impact of focusing on other pieces of your business, like acquisition and retention. Because obviously if you can get a hundred customers at 100% more price or 50% higher price, that's a lot of money. And that's essentially pure profit in a lot of ways than if you just get you know, 100 more or 50 more customers in that case. But that's why it's it's pretty, pretty important. And it's one of those things that you know I'm sure we can go for hours on not only importance, but what is involved with pricing. Well,
1: Absolutely. And then so let's say I founded a company, I suspect that there's a lot of money being left on the table with pricing, my pricing might be suboptimal. How do I diagnose what's broken and what needs to be fixed?
0: Yeah, it's because it's so central. It's a really tough question, right? Because it could be something where pricing problems are being exposed, even just in your support tickets, your discounting volume, your ARPU, your churn, et cetera. The place that I really like to start is really looking at your ARPU. And if your ARPU has not increased in more than a year, meaning, you know, it's been a year, your ARPU hasn't increased, and your expansion revenue is also flat, meaning your ARPU has stayed at $100 and no one's really, you know, there's not really good upgrade velocity from anyone. That's typically what I look at as okay, here's a problem with pricing. Now, there are other indicators, other KPIs you can look at, but normally those are kind of the core ones because that just indicates you're not using your price. Price as a growth lever. I mean, it's a pretty anemic piece.
1: And I have to ask you a bit about freemium because you published a big, all-encompassing book about it recently. And it seems like you might've had a change of heart when it comes to freemium because you, you have some old blog posts I'm still around <laughs> about, <say> yeah. that, <laughs> about why freemium might be killing a pricing strategy. But then ProfitWell well follow sort of a freemium business model now. And could you talk about your perspective on freemium and the lessons you've learned thinking about it over the last several years?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a flip-flopper. I can't run for office anymore. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, so th- the thing with freemium is... I'm not rationalizing it, but I think the the reason my perspective changed a little bit is a lot of people looked at freemium as part of your revenue model. Like, hey, this is part of my pricing. Freemium is part of my pricing. And when in reality, freemium is an acquisition model. It's it's kind of like a premium ebook. And I think that a lot of people, they mix those things up and they just kind of assume like, yeah, we'll start at zero and it'll be a free plan and I'll have these features and all that kind of fun stuff and everything's going to be great. The issue is, is that you're essentially getting leads. That's what a free customer is. And if you don't know how to basically get people over the precipice from zero dollar to paying you, then freemium is just a lot of noise. And it's a lot of people coming through, through the doors. And so philosophically, I think that just kind of realizing that through learning and things like that, you know, pushed me to kind of change or at least really kind of think about hey, freemium, it's not part of pricing. It always comes up with pricing, but it's going to be something that's really, really important in the future because of what's happening in the market. And what I mean by that is there's so much density happening with, all types of content that's out there, sales channels, marketing channels, it's getting harder and harder for us to acquire customers. It's getting more and more expensive for us to acquire customers as businesses. And because of that, our content or our sales or all these different things not only have to get better, but we also need to lower that activation energy to get a customer to start interacting with our brand. And one way you can do that is through a free trial. But not everyone who's gonna sign up for a free trial is going to be a great customer fit to convert right away. Now they very well might be a customer fit in three months or six months or 12 months or 18 months. But if you kind of force them into a free trial and then all of a sudden they get to the 30 days and they're just not ready for it, well, you kind of lost the opportunity to really nurture that lead because that lead isn't really interacting with your free product anymore because you're locking them out after that 30 day or that 14 day free trial. And so long story short, to kind of summarize those ramblings, I think the one thing to kind of think about is freemium is a very top of the funnel solution to your business. It's not a pricing solution. And on top of that, it's going to be something that's really, really important in the future, mainly because there's so much density in the market now. We need a way to basically nurture leads besides just giving them ebooks and content and things like that. Totally. And it can be a
1: way of engaging with users in an account who don't have necessarily buying authority, but can create that groundswell, that momentum to ultimately reach a buyer. So yeah, I I agree with you. I've been pretty harsh on freemium myself. I've seen a lot of companies with really bad freemium conversion, or that are having a freemium strategy in a really small market, where it just it's really diluting their ability to Grow a large business, but if you th- start thinking about it more as a top of the funnel activity, like a like a podcast or like an ebook or anything else, and putting in that context, it brings a lot more value to a business.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: Patrick. We've also talked a lot about the importance of value metrics and identifying what's the best value metric for a business, and you know maybe that's not simply users or seats like it might have been a few years ago. Can you talk through like what is a value metric and how should SaaS companies be thinking about it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics. And it's the reason it's so great is your, your value metric is what you charge for. So uh, it could be per seat, per user. It could be per hundred visits. It could be per thousand videos, per million views. It could be a whole host of things. But it's some sort of metric that you can measure And it's normally some sort of outcome or some sort of usage element within your product that you can essentially gate or charge along. And the reason it's so, so important is because it bakes expansion revenue and it also bakes identifying and getting all types of personas across the spectrum into your product, right into your pricing model. So when I'm on a value metric based product, all of a sudden if I start using more of that value metric, presumably if that value metric has been set correctly, I'm going to basically be totally fine paying more for that more consumption because I'm, I'm getting value from that consumption. And what I typically tell companies is that if you don't get anything else in your pricing correct, the one thing that kind of will save you is if you have the right value metric, because even if you have the wrong price point, even if you have the not so great packaging, localizations off, all these different things, Normally, what ends up happening is the value metric saves you because basically it makes sure that that expansion revenue keeps coming, and also that you know people can come in, start using a little bit of your product, and paying you a little, and then eventually grow through that basically that increased consumption. And from kind of setting your value metric, there's there's kind of three axioms that I really think about. The first one is is it's got to align to where your customer sees value, and this one is is pretty hard depending on how you look at it because sometimes what we think is valuable in our Product and oftentimes, what we think is valuable in a product is not what's actually valuable. But a good kind of proxy for this is to think about, you know, what would be the perfect value metric. And for most people, it's some sort of function of saving time, saving money, increasing money, etc. And then, if you can't measure that perfectly, take one or two steps back from it. So, if you talk about HubSpot, for instance, you know, HubSpot marketing automation, at least their main product, it's one of those things where the whole goal or the perfect value metric is the amount of money you're making off of HubSpot that's really, really hard to measure. And so essentially you want to take one step back and then that's contacts. Because presumably if you have more contacts in your account, you're making more money and you know everyone's kind of happy. And it won't be perfect for everyone, but that's okay because the bulk of the target customers, that's where value is really ascribed. The second big element is your user has to understand the value metric and this can be flexed a little bit where if you have a really you know heavy, intense sales process, your value metric can be a little bit more complicated because your salesperson can kind of explain why that's the value metric. But if you're in a touchless sales environment, it's got to be super obvious and super easy for them to understand because they're going to be signing up without really that much context. And then the final piece is it needs to grow with your customer's consumption. So if you look at your customer and they're using more of your product and getting more value, but the metric that you set as your core value metric isn't really increasing, then it's something where you probably don't have the right value metric, or maybe you need two value metrics in your pricing. And the reason this is so important is it's a little bit obvious, but a lot of times what ends up happening is we might set our value metric and we might get it incorrect because yeah, it might make sense. It might kind of basically be ascribed where your customer sees value, but it's not growing because it might not be the ideal metric. And to give you an example there, we sell or we give away for free a a free SaaS or subscription metrics product. And if we were to charge for it, a lot of analytics products will charge on a per seat basis. But the problem is is that if I can share a login and basically get the exact same experience as another person sitting next to me, that's probably not really where the value is in the actual product. And so that's why it's really, really important to understand where that growth is along as where that value is being ascribed in order to set the value metric correctly.
1: I think those are great points. And the only other thing I'd add, if you will, would be thinking about sort of leading versus lagging indicators of value. So sometimes if you... Sell on a per seat basis, you are literally limiting the value of your product to whoever has those seats and can access it. And if you versus charging on a usage based model, a company can really unlock the access to the product, start bringing on more teams, more use cases, and then naturally that leads to expansion down the road. And so you're not limiting yourself and limiting really that value that you're creating for companies upfront, but then you're monetizing on it later on. So I think that it's important for companies to think about what's the total lifetime value of an account that they can generate through different ways of pricing.
0: Yeah, totally. And and the one thing I would add there, I think it's 100% on point, a good example is like per user, right? The reason we do per user pricing is for most companies, or they think that's the default, is because 15 years ago when we were moving from perpetual licenses to SaaS or or software or the web, we were like, oh, how should we charge this? And everyone was thinking, oh, we did per user with perpetual, which made sense because you were selling licenses. Let's just do that. Where for most products, as we were kind of talking about, there's a ton of value in basically getting unlimited users in there because that's going to help more consumption that's going to help push that value of that product and ultimately it lets you you know basically take advantage of that value
1: and i want to close on a positive note if we can so are there any companies that you consider to be best in class when it comes to pricing and you know what do they do that's different from everyone else
0: hmm that's a great question i think so it this is a this is a classic question right because it's it's one of those things where I want to I want to name companies that it's kind of like saying oh well apple does it right you know and it's it's some things where apple is just able to do it because they're apple right you know when you're talking about design or product and things like that i think Some companies that do a really, really good job that are kind of in that class, so you can replicate them, but they also had other factors going for them. Folks like Slack. I think Slack has done really, really well with kind of that free-to-paid scenario and then also hitting the right value metric. So basically, you can have unlimited users and you just have a history limit of 10,000 messages. And I believe it might have changed, but that was originally what it was. And that means that you can use the product and then, It's kind of perfectly timed that when you hit that 10,000 limit and it starts to be annoying, you're more than happy to start paying Slack, you know, three figure MRR, which helps with their kind of, you know, LTV to CAC ratio. So I think they do really, really well. There's some other companies that are also doing well. One that I really like is Wistia in particular. So Wistia, they essentially, on their non enterprise plans, they do kind of one of my more favorite pricing models, which is, hey, you get basically. Basically, all of the features included in every single plan, but we're simply gonna limit some sort of value metric. And in their cases, it's actual videos. In both of those, you know, there's there's points of improvement, but in both of those, what you can see is that there were clear trade-offs made because no pricing is actually gonna be perfect. You know, with Slack, there's some you know problems with if you wanna you know, host a big free community. It's really, really hard to do, but that's not necessarily their use case. So they kind of gave up on that persona on the Wistia side. You know, there are some people who have tons of videos, you know, high volume and they're all low bandwidth or low views. Wistia might not be the best solution for them in that particular case, but it's one of those things where that's a, a good example of, you know, price when you're doing pricing, there's got to be some choices that you're making. And when you focus and make those choices, it actually turns out better in the end.
1: Great place to end. Thanks so much for joining the podcast,
0: Patrick. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Patrick gave us some great insights on
1: SaaS pricing, as always. You can check out more of their content on the ProfitWell blog. Now we'll hear from Craig Harris, CEO of Deputy, as he discusses the business's go-to-market model and how it impacted their big pricing initiative last year. Craig, thank you for joining the OpenView
2: Build podcast. You're very welcome. Great to be here. And today,
1: we want to talk about SaaS pricing. Before we jump into the topic, could you tell us about Deputy and your role there?
2: Yeah, sure. So, Deputy is a cloud-based workforce management solution. And so, what we're about is enabling managers and employees to work faster and smarter. And that's, that's done through a combination of intelligent work scheduling, timesheet management, and communication tools. So, we target businesses with hourly paid workers that stand to benefit from that combination of solutions. And what we're trying to achieve for them is huge time and cost savings. As a business, our headquarters is in Sydney, in Australia. Been trading now for for nine years. We've got 70,000 customers across 70 countries around the world. I've been the chief operating officer here for for just on two years.
1: Great. And how did you get started in the world of SaaS?
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I uh, I was uh, lucky enough to join a, a SaaS business back in the early 2000s, which is when I would consider to be a a bit of a bleeding edge period of (laughs) of getting SaaS underway. That was a travel management uh, solution provider here in Australia that we started up. Great experience. I went from there and joined an online travel business, went into e-commerce for a while, and then prior to this this role, I was in a digital marketing company. But uh, in all those businesses, there was always a a certain part of the offering that involved SaaS, and, and I always thought, look, that was the most valuable part. So in the lead up to joining Deputy, I was on the hunt for a business that was using SaaS in a a really great way to solve, you know, big pain points for businesses. And so I was really lucky to to have the opportunity to join the the Deputy team.
1: Great. And now SaaS is definitely not on the bleeding edge anymore. And Australia's a hotbed for, for a number of great SaaS companies.
2: Yeah, it's great to see.
1: And, you know, I think we can't really get into Deputy's pricing until we start with the go to market model, because I think it's a bit different from many other SaaS businesses and has an impact on how you think about pricing. Can you talk about how deputy goes to market?
2: Sure. Firstly, I should mention what's unique about Deputy is that we've got one core solution that solves the needs of both SMBs as well as enterprise businesses. And so we run kind of two separate parts of the business. The core of the, the business very much is SMB, which is, you know, very much inbound. So 100 percent of our business comes in through our website. We get a lot of referrals from from our customers. And so as you'd imagine, our focus is, you know, is all about. How do we effectively drive our site visitors to, to a free trial and then going about doing the best we can to convert those free trial customers into paying customers? So, front and center of that is our onboarding experience, which we drive I guess, a value orientation on that experience and and keeping it as simple as possible. But really, the enterprise side of the business is, is where we're seeing an increasing proportion of inquiries. It's something that you know we're, we've been quite surprised about over the last few years, the, the drive to, to getting more inbound inquiries for, on enterprise. And that really requires a more consultative engagement process, often involving customized services. So it's so a very different type of business. The pricing, as you can imagine, in those two businesses you know, are quite different. For uh, the SMB business, you know, we operate on what's commonly termed a good, better, best pricing model, where we charge like a simple per user per month price, and very much driving customers to to our most valuable plan, which we think is our premium plan, and that happens to be our number one selling plan because of the fact that you are getting so much more value compared to the other options. On the enterprise side of the business, we have to offer options which suit the the operating needs of those businesses. So, a couple of examples are: we, you know, we offer an active price per month per user, so only charge for the users that are, that are actively using the product um, in a given week. We offer that for those businesses that typically, you know, flex up and down a lot on their on their user count. Some other enterprise businesses though would prefer a tiered pricing uh, or fixed uh, pricing approach, so that they've got a certain degree of of certainty. But look, overall, you know, it doesn't matter where we are, we're about delivering maximum value and that's done through driving, you know, a high level of utilisation of the product and so getting our customers to embrace, you know, all the features that we offer is, is, you know, our mantra. We've very much resisted charging for, for any additional features over the last few years and, you know, we haven't even really looked at introducing any form of usage-based pricing. We, you know, we really want to provide the most value for a given, a given price point.
1: And you know you guys are now at you know pretty interesting scale you mentioned 70,000 plus businesses are are on deputy but kind of how has pricing evolved since the company was founded?
2: Yeah so way back in the early days there wasn't a free trial offer available online and so you know I think there was a lot of experimentation but but ultimately it was it was more like the enterprise pricing I mentioned before so on on spec pricing and that changed when we enabled that that free trial Online and and you know we had to kind of have a more standardised approach to to allow scale, and so a lot of experimentation took place uh, over a few years, including even you know uh, offering a freemium solution for a period, which which it turned out didn't really suit us. Where we landed was you know that price point plan I mentioned before. We've had that in place for about four to five years, and really you know sticking with that model so that we could focus our efforts on driving you know, more growth in customers through that strategy of providing more value to the customer. And you know, again, just to reiterate, providing more and more additional features and making the product as effective as possible based on the feedback we're getting from the customer base. So look, really, that meant there was a reluctance to increase price for a long time because of that inherent drive to grow the customer base.
1: Well, I think a number of other companies can relate to that, right? Wanting especially they've spent so much time and effort building this product, want as many people as possible to get access to it. After that big pricing change and and implementing free trials and everything, you went through another pricing initiative last year. I'm curious, what were the signals that there was an opportunity to revisit your pricing strategy?
2: Yeah, so look, it was, it was the board who actually challenged us to, to consider a price increase from where they stood. They could see the additional value we'd provided over the prior few years through the expansion of the capability of the product. And that was evidenced through some pretty strong NPS scores. And so they asked us to go do that. Our leadership team agreed. And, we, and I guess I led a, a market research program getting some good help from the OpenView expansion team. And there was two areas we really wanted to go and and get a better understanding of. The first one was, you know, understanding better what our customers' view was on the affordability of Deputy. And the second one was to better understand, you know, how we were priced relative to the competition and all the core markets that we were competing in. And what I mean by that is like understanding, look, what what would a customer pay for the average size operation that we typically targeted? Even though every competitor out there had slightly different type of pricing model, we really wanted to kind of understand clearly what would be the price point relative to what we were charging. That survey, interestingly enough, found you know first of all we you know we were perceived to be quite cheap relative to the value we were providing to our customers the customers certainly gave a good indication that they thought that what they were getting was worth a lot more than we were charging that was nice validation for the work we'd done over the prior few years and then on the competition side we again discovered that we were slightly on the low side relative to our competitors and so, it made it obvious that there was definitely an opportunity there to consider. You know, it's amazing that, you know, you think that this stuff's pretty obvious, but when you're so focused on just driving growth in the business and, and acquiring customers and, and, and providing, you know, as much delight as you can to them and, and looking at pricing is something that, you know, in hindsight, we probably should have been doing more often. There's a great step in our journey, you could say. One other aspect I should mention is that we also wanted to go and test with a customer base whether they'd perceive an annual prepaid plan to be attractive. And the feedback on that was that, you know, absolutely, if we were able to offer a a pretty moderate discount. So we figured, look, the benefits of providing an annual prepaid plan to us, you know, were were that lock-in effect, particularly for a newer customer, the boost to cash flow as well. So that that was definitely worth providing a, a discount for.
1: Yeah, and that was something, especially given all the markets that you sell into, it wasn't necessarily a no-brainer that these small businesses be willing to commit to a year up front and all of that cash flow for a software that they hadn't used yet.
2: Yeah, look, look. I mean, look, it's fair to say there was there was a lot of healthy debate we had in our leadership team. There was also a degree of skepticism. And some some of the members of the team have been here for a while. I mean, they certainly had a view that, look, in the markets that we're Targeting, particularly you know, food and beverage, and retail, which are two key markets for us, the capacity of an SMB to bear a price increase in, in some pretty tight margin sectors was a question. I think that having the other point around the annual prepaid plan is you know whether they would have the cash flow. There was a big question mark there. So yeah, I, th- I think look ultimately the market research that we did and then those customer survey results we had to really follow that because even though our gut said something else. Data trumps that every time.
1: So, you know, you got all this data from customers looking at the competition, recommendations from the board, you know, all of these different sources. And then you go into thinking about, you know, how do you actually implement all of these changes? And some people might expect a pricing change is pretty easy to implement, but in reality, there's a lot of moving pieces that make it challenging to get it really right. What was involved in a successful pricing implementation at Deputy?
2: We had to make some key decisions first. I mean, you know, I mentioned before the concern around you know whether the market would bear a price increase. The other thing to consider is that we were driving our conversion rate up quite well in the quarters leading up to this moment, and so it was it was our number one focus in the business, and and you know doing anything to dampen that was another concern, and so that combined with the fact that putting in a price increase to our existing customers, you know, and, and risking churn was something we we did feel. In the end, we elected to only apply the increase to new customers. That was kind of our way of de-risking, if you like, particularly on the risk of churn on, on the existing base. The annual plan option, I think, as well. You know, we we decided to run with partly because we thought, look, if we could offer the original price point even on that annual prepaid basis, at least gave that option to a, a prospect. And so, look, you know, in the end, really focusing in on what we could do to execute on an increase to our standard pricing for new customers is, you know, is where we wanted to begin the journey. And so from a systems enablement perspective, just an increase the price is probably not a big deal. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but certainly implementing the annual prepaid plan was, was a bit tricky. We had to ensure we designed the solution around that in such a way that we avoided any disincentive for a customer to continue to expand their user base like a lot of our customers have growth in in employees and you know we we want to support that and we obviously want to gain the the expansion revenue on that as well what we did is we you know we ensured that the experience month to month if a customer needed to increase their users we weren't going to in any way stop that we were going to give them the option at the end of each month you know whether they wanted to opt in and expand their annual plan to include that incremental number of users or just pay an average amount each month. So that that was really important. My perspective on this is the most important thing you can do when implementing a pricing change is, is getting the communication right. So that starts with, you know, having a clear plan of, of how you're going to communicate with your customers and, and prospects. But just as importantly, you know, how you frame this with, with your employees, you know, who are going to be engaging with with customers, both, you know, on the sales side, marketing and through to CX. And what really matters is, is to be really clear on why you're doing this. So in our case, you know, it was pretty obvious we, we'd done a lot of work to, to add a lot more value to the product just as importantly like framing i guess the increase on the basis that we'd committed to provide a continuous uplift of of capability in the solution in the future and and you know we certainly as a business you know have that front and center of of our strategy every year and you know making sure that customers and, and prospects understood this is this is the reason we were doing it the other thing is just to be ready for for any scenario was what we wanted to ensure we covered by way of clear positioning statements and escalation paths. We were lucky that, you know, it, it actually went off without a hitch, but we wanted to ensure that, you know, if there was any concerns raised at a wider level that you know, we were ready to respond to that.
1: That's great advice for, for others. And, you know, just looking back on this process, it's now been a year plus from when you started what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs who are considering changing their pricing?
2: Yeah, so for a start, you know, it's all about aligning to your overall strategy. We certainly were focused as I mentioned before on 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 expanding our customer base and so, you know, it wouldn't have made sense to do any significant increase in price. But look as 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 time has evolved and we we delivered that value, then it made sense, you know, from a strategic perspective to increase the price with the amount of value that we were providing. But look, you know, I think for any business out there, considering pricing, you know, each year when you're going through your planning process and reviewing your strategy, I think is important. It's often the area that gets forgotten about, particularly in SaaS. And really look at whether there's an opportunity to leverage, say, a different pricing model or a price level relative to the competition to differentiate is something that should be done each year, in in my opinion. The other recommendation I'd strongly make is, is putting some good research into place we, we were lucky to benefit from that and getting feedback from the customers you know is, is probably the number one thing to go do as much as you know you'll have a bunch of assumptions you know based on conversations that happen randomly from customer to customer but if you do it in a more structured way you're, you're really going to get a better understanding on what your customers perceive to be a fair and reasonable price point and, and maybe even a, a fair and reasonable pricing model to consider I'd recommend considering getting in a pricing expert or perhaps talking to someone who's been through this journey. We were very lucky to, to get the support from your good self, Kyle, and, and the team there at OpenView, and that made a huge difference for us. We consider that to be a key reason for us succeeding on this journey. And look, I mentioned a bit earlier on that through the execution of any price increase you know, or, or any change to pricing model, communication is super important being really clear on the why with customers and all other stakeholders, including employees and, and, and your partners is crucial. And just be prepared for all scenarios. If you know, Spend the time to gear up and get ready for any kind of outcome that, that could take place that's not expected. We're really big on that.
1: Well, Craig, thanks for sharing Deputy's story. Congratulations on all the success. And thanks for sharing your advice for other entrepreneurs. We really appreciate having you on the podcast.
2: Hey, you're welcome anytime.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. You can compare yourself to your peers by checking out our benchmarking data at benchmarks.openviewpartners.com. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter, which is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. You can do that by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.